0: First things i I'm going to say all the words inside my head. I'm fired up tired of the way that things have been.
1: A couple of minutes after 12 o'clock, this is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan for Gareth Wheeler today. Uh, hour 2, brought to you by Lease Busters. It is so easy to get out of your car. Lease Canada's number one lease takeover marketplace, Lease Busters. Avoid penalties and early termination. Go to leasebusters.com. Dot .com. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll get into the National Football League with John McMullen from uh, Fan Rag Sports. He's a national NFL columnist for that website. First up though, uh, we'll get into what happened at the 4th of the Majors, at least for this year and next year. Uh, and uh, an interesting story to say the least to break down what happened over the weekend. Uh, the golf editor at The Score, Michael DeCorsi joins us. Michael, thank you for joining us.
2: No problem. Thanks for the invite.
1: I, I will uh, admit thoroughly that I was uh, not aware of young Mr. Thomas before the weekend. I'm I'm, I'm that guy who'll watch the, the majors, the Canadian Open, and maybe a couple of other tournaments. Um, did it surprise you that he was even uh, on the last page of the leaderboard on Sunday?
2: Oh, no, 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 not at all. Um, you know, he came in with three wins already on the year. Uh, he had that great uh, third round in the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a player. And he's always kind of got that association with, you know, as Jordan Spieth's buddy, and kind of separated himself on Sunday with just uh, an unbelievable last ten holes to to win his first major title. Uh, you know, he's got to be he, he's got to be player of the year. Maybe right now, you got to think.
1: It's interesting to uh, uh, to sit back and watch a guy go through what he did on Sunday. And I guess in a, in a major, you've got to be a little lucky uh, to pull things off. But some of the hops that he was getting were just outstanding.
2: Yeah, I mean, the turning point is 10, right? It actually, you can go right back to the whole hole number one, where he makes just, you know, one of the best bogeys of the day. I mean, he's, he's staring at six. He makes that big putt, kind of gets him going, and then, you know, makes a bomb on nine, and then 10. You know, that ball could have gone anywhere off the tee, but it kicks back into the fairway, um, you know, goes for the green on two, and then, you know, the putt just dies in to get the birdie, and from there he was rolling and made no bogeys, and... You need to be a little bit lucky, and he got the breaks and, and took advantage of it. You know, so you know Tiger Woods was no different. He got some really good breaks, and uh, it's just a matter of what you deal, how you how you handle it, and if you take advantage. And he did, and, and good on him. So,
1: for a guy like for a guy like me that goes out and shoots a ninety, um, <laughs> if if I go out and pull a duck hook like that and it bounces onto the fairway, I laugh for fifteen minutes and say, you know, oh man, I that could have been a lot worse. What goes through the mind of a pro? Uh, when when they get a fortuitous hop like that,
2: take advantage and uh, and he did. Um, you know there were so many bad breaks this week by by a lot of players and it, for that ball to come back in the fairway and and to make birdie and and just to keep it going. Uh, same with 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 the chipping that that tee shot on the, on the par three stayed up. Uh, it, it could have gone into the rough, but it, it didn't, and um, you know he chipped in, made birdie. That that could have been a that could have been a four, and he just rolled from there to to play the last three holes, the green mile and even par. He hit that fantastic seven iron on seventeen. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he seems to be kind of a hit or miss player. You know, it's either all all or nothing, and this week he was kind of, I wouldn't say mundane, but kind of placid through the first sixty three holes, and then went. And played his usual game last nine, and and grabbed his first major.
1: It's funny when he chunked his third shot on eighteen. I'm thinking, geez, I hope the poor kid doesn't van it. Or I guess it would have yeah. been his second shot, and I just had this image of him sort of healing one and it going across the fairway into the creek, <laughs> and just <laughs> to hoping that that wasn't going to happen. I was so happy for the kid when not only did he make uh, the third shot count, it was a heck of a shot on uh, uh, you know to get out of that second cut of rough.
2: Yeah, that was, that was thick, thick rough. And, and you're right. That could have been, that could have been a six and, you know, Kisner's behind where he he could make birdie and we're looking at a playoff. There's a lot of scenarios there, but he played it safe. He said, you know, we're just going to make, we're looking at five here, make no worse than five. And he did that. Um, you know, he came in with not a very good major record, but he said looking at his buddy Spieth when the open last month, that it really inspired him, really pushed him to, to win this. And, um, as I said, he's got to be—he's got to be the front runner for Player of the Year with four wins, uh, including a major, and all—all all, all his wins have been—you know—he's won by three, three, seven, and two, so he's not just squeaking them out. He, He's—he's beaten—beaten the field pretty—pretty pretty well.
1: It's funny by knowing him by name only uh, and not doing anything about this kid before yesterday, reading and doing the background on him um it seems like you know he's really got this it's not just Spieth that he's got the good relationship with it seems that when other guys he, of his peer group of his that sort of early to mid twenties group um when somebody's having a bad day, he seems to be the guy there that is uh, the, that's pumping them back up
2: yeah he's a great follow on twitter like he he's uh He's very engaging, uh, with, with the fans. Um, he's very supportive of, of guys that, that, you know, the, 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 the typical sports fan wouldn't really know that won their first, uh, career PJ win. He's, he's right on there to, to congratulate them. So he's, he's a, a really, he's a really cool kid. Um, and that whole group is, is very, uh, they seem to be very tight. Um, Unlike maybe Tiger and Phil from you know ten fifteen years ago, I yeah. don't think Tiger would have been standing on the eighteenth green um, waiting for Phil to 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 win his major. Uh, yesterday, you saw you know Spieth, uh and, and Fowler, you know on the grass waiting for their buddy to to win their major. So uh, yeah, he's he's it, it's a, it's a good group. It's a good transition from that Tiger Phil era into what we have now.
1: And, fine, just a rules clarification. Uh, on the putt that hung forever mm-hmm. and just would not drop, what is the ruling? How long can he wait before he has to go and mark the ball?
2: He's got 15 seconds.
1: 15 seconds. Yeah, okay. and
2: he was well within that. So I, I know the golf police uh, <laughs> were on social media. You know, Lexi Thompson, uh, you know, that sort of. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he was well within within the, the rules. It seems to be almost like a drinking game now where if we don't have a rules controversy in a major it's not really, uh, it's not really a major. We had Poulter early in the day. We had Spieth obviously back at Burkdale and yeah, yeah. and then the uh, the putt on ten yesterday.
1: I did Lafaldo with the in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, that, yeah.
1: that was, was outstanding. Great. Uh, our guest uh, joining us to uh, re- uh, you know sort of take a look at what happened yesterday and over the weekend. Uh, the golf editor at the Score, Michael DeCoursey. Um, Has anybody been able to figure out what Jason Day was thinking on Saturday when he made? <sighs> Shall we say a unique decision when behind a tree? And and for those who didn't see it, maybe you can go over just what he was facing and what uh, his choice yeah, was.
2: Behind the tree and, and and decided to try and sling one around it and over. Uh obviously it didn't work out well. He makes a quadruple bogey eight and without having a follow through. Yeah. Um hmm. he said he, he didn't regret it that you know he'd do the same thing again. I would Question that because <laughs> you know you punch out you're probably gonna make five you you even have a chance to make four and you're still in the in the tournament <laughs> you know it, it I didn't see I didn't see the entire hole but I I saw the play and uh, and then I saw he was six to one favorite to to win it and then you come back and you see he's one hundred twenty six to one to win <laughs> to win it in in the span of about fifteen minutes just from those poor decisions I mean it, it was just <sighs> you see what Jordan Spieth has done, you know, at Berkdale where he kind of slowed things down and it felt like Jason day kind of rushed his uh, decision-making in, in that, in that time. Um, maybe not looking at all the scenarios as far as the right play to, to, to try to execute. And um, I just think that's, that was the major factor. He just didn't really slow down and, you know, analyze what all his options were in you know, he, he said he doesn't regret it, but that he might be just trying to, uh, you know, help his ego there. Maybe tell him that, you know, tell himself that he, he was right in that in that scenario. But like he I didn't even
1: he didn't even have to go all Bubble Watson at the at the Masters, right? No. He didn't really have to play that extreme a shot. Uh, all no. he, had, he could have advanced that quite a ways up the fairway. He wouldn't have gotten to the green, I don't think. But uh, boy, that seemed like such a an easy play for a guy at that level.
2: Yeah, you, you punch it back in the fairway, and these guys with a wedge are still thinking of make, getting up and down. Sure. You still have a chance of making par, and that's four shots. Uh, like, you just don't get those back, and, and, and that eliminated his, his chance to win a major. He, he, he looked so good up until that point. He played 53 very good holes and then made just a, a, a stupid, stupid mistake. T- on 18.
1: We were talking on Friday uh, about uh, Dillette and how the back maybe caught up with him after going 70, mm. 73 on Friday. Um, I was stunned to see him come back 68, 69. I was so happy for him, uh, considering what he's had to go through with the back to be able to put together a couple of rounds like that and end up tied for seventh. Uh, that was just fantastic.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, best result in the major by, by 61 places. <laughs> um, you know, and the, the Saturday back nine was, was ridiculous. You know, two, two, three, three yeah. in four holes, you pick up six, six shots. And it really, he was inches away from going one, one, three, three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, he made a double on, on 11, he bogeyed the par five, seven. So I, I, it could have been better, but you know, you look at the positives, uh, this guy came right back on the final round shot 69 and and played the green mile you know that tough stretch of 16 17 18 for the week and two under like that is that is impressive and and now has another another top 10 of to the season he's going to get there he it, this is only going to help him with his confidence and um you know try to break through and and get into that winner circle he's been so close and I, I think playing this well in a major on a on a just a ruthless golf course um, can only help his confidence going forward.
1: A ruthless golf course, but one that Rory McIlroy had toyed with at times. Uh, are you more surprised by his plus one or Spieth's plus two?
2: Oh, um, boy, McIlroy, the, the thing about McIlroy is he's been just destroying the golf ball off the tee. Yeah. I mean, he's killing it. But his wedge game is like a 20 handicapper right now. I mean, he's missing he's missing greens with wedges and um he, for a pro to miss to have that many opportunities inside 125 yards and to not get it close and not take advantage of of your long your distance off the tee, that's the big thing. Also, his putting has been it hasn't been good, but he's also been plagued by injury. He he, he alluded yesterday that he might just shut it down, um, and 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 wait for this this rib to to injure uh you know heal itself. As far as speed, um, you know it's it's tough. To, I mean. To to win the career major, I I think there was probably a little bit of pressure there. He he said there wasn't, but um, he's going to have plenty of opportunities. He said the the PGA is probably going to be the hardest major for him to win, just the way it's set up. Um, And he said, look at my track record. I mean, he's 24 years old, like track record. Come on, you both played in 20 (laughs) majors. Um, So uh, I think McIlroy, it's just just injury. And and Spieth just kind of never really got things going. Um, it, it's a very difficult golf course," he said. "You just couldn't be aggressive with the putts, um, the way the pins were uh, for him, and, and, and that was probably where he, he was putting the ball on the green. So
1: it's uh, funny, it's funny with the rib injury, though. You would think that if he was going to have problems, it would be off the green, uh, with off the uh, off the tee with just sort of the, the the what you put your body through off of that shot, especially with the torque that those guys have, um, as opposed to playing a short game where it's a more relaxed mm-hmm. swing or on the green.
2: Yeah, um he said it's actually fine during the round it's 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 the the recovery between it oh, okay. um just after okay. the round he he feels it kind of flaring up. Um with Rory he seems to have the same swing for all all his clubs, all 13 clubs excluding the putter. Hmm. Um and I I you know, especially with the wedge game, I think he he's got the shot. I just don't know he know if he uses it the kind of like that three-quarter punch shot that Um, you know, Tiger was very good at and Phil's excellent at, um, he just swings the golf club the same and, and maybe he's just trying to get, uh, you know, used to the equipment. He's made a lot of changes this year, (laughs) both on and off the golf course with, you know, a new caddy and, and new tailor made stuff. So maybe it's just kind of, um, getting used to that in 2013, when he switched to Nike, he didn't have a very good year, didn't win. So we'll see what happens next year with him. Um, uh, you know, a healthy Rory McIlroy, with you know, used to his new tailor-made equipment and and golf ball, um, he, he's just too good of a player not to 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 win more majors and to be shut out this year with 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 no wins worldwide. So, uh, I expect him to be to be back.
1: It was a very interesting weekend. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I uh, enjoyed our conversation right now. Thank you so much for doing this, Michael.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for the
1: invite. Michael deCourcy joining us, golf editor at The Score, with a look back at the PGA Championship and our Golf Insider brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. Um, so an interesting weekend, to say the least. I um, just wanted to get in. I'm going to bring the, uh, the producer and the technical poobah on the air here for a second. Uh, Sean Lavery is our producer today. Hello. Hi, don't, don't wave. It's It's radio. If you wave back, nobody can hear. Okay. Okay, that's better. Keith Bauer is he, our
3: technical director. I'm just going to kind of have his back here. He had food in his mouth. He was trying to be polite. Oh, okay. <laughs> I so, mean, what, what else do we have to do back here? Except so my eat?
1: timing was perfect. In other words, 10 out of 10. Yes! Awesome. I would have shown thrown sooner if I had have known um, that he was eating. Um, th- th- I thought the story of the weekend, there was there was a lot going on, but I thought the biggest story of the weekend was a Bryce Harper injury, uh, a guy who has been ripping it up, and potentially, when you saw it for the first time, you thought season ender. And it looks like the Nationals are going to get a- lucky um, because they're not going to lose him for the full season, it looks like. And he had been certainly in the conversation for MVP, although you know Mr. Stanton has been going crazy uh, down in Miami of late. So I got to thinking, with them getting lucky, and it looks like the, the Dodgers will get Kershaw back for the playoffs. Hypothetically, if the Dodgers and the Nationals were to meet in a playoff series, the Dodgers without Kershaw, the Nationals without Harper, Which is a bigger loss? Is it the guy who's going to play seven potentially and get you four or five at-bats with Washington's offense? Probably five at-bats a game. So you're looking at 35 at-bats over the course of a potential seven-game series. Or Kershaw, and I will underscore this by saying, if the rotation set up so he'd only be able to pitch twice in the seven games as opposed to the three times, because then I think it's an easy question. Which is a bigger loss? Harper for seven or Kershaw for two in a playoff series?
3: I, I mean, I'm biased towards pitchers, but I think it's losing Kershaw. I think we've seen in postseason after postseason, if you can have that one shutdown starter to get you that game that you need to win, mm-hmm. um, that's absolutely huge. And I mean, the Dodgers went out and acquired you Darvish, so yeah. if you're looking at a seven-game series where for at least four of them, you're facing those two starters, I think it's nearly impossible to win a series against them. Although and when you got,
1: you, you'd be going Scherzer against Kershaw. Yeah, but then who's after Scherzer? Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, Gonzalez has pitched very
3: well this year. Overrated. <laughs> I'm just saying he's pitched very well this year. I'm. I'm I mean, obviously he has pitched very well, but mm-hmm. it goes Yu Darvish way up here, and Gio Gondol- Gonzalez oh, sure. or, or is Miles Miles below, or, or, or Strasburg Joe or whoever. Sure, whoever. I mean, so it's, it's, well, Strasburg's another guy who he's, can't stay healthy. So, yes.
1: but I'm just. Uh, it's an interesting. Question to me, because of the, the, the importance of a start, and I'm with you on, on pitching, pitching, pitching. Three-game series, absolutely easy question, no debate, no disrespect to Harper. If you were only to be able to pitch in two of those games, Mr. Lavery.
3: I'm going to stick with Bryce Harper there. I think the, the numbers of games played is obviously a, a big difference maker for me, but if I remember correctly, the last time Kershaw went down, there was a decent stat about how
1: well the Dodgers did without Kershaw. Still, still. It, it, playoffs. Uh. Playoffs are different than regular season. Seven is different than 162, right? Because the intensity is riveted up, not just a little bit, but a lot. It's a different beast out there. Um, playoff pitching performances are different than game number you know, 118 of the regular season against a non-playoff team. Um, there, there's some. There's a lot more on the line, obviously, and guys who are the best playoff performers always seem to be better in the playoffs uh, than they were in the regular season. Uh, you know, historically, look like at Reggie Jackson might be the best example of all time, or Yogi Berra, or somebody like that, who was were just lights out in the postseason. I I think it's a I think it's an interesting question as to 2 starts versus 7 games.
3: Yeah, and I'm going to even contradict my own point here. I mean, Bryce Harper when he's been able to get into the playoffs has been an absolute stud sure. whereas Absolutely. whereas Kershaw has had his issues as we, as we've seen over the past few years. Mm-hmm. But not only that, I think that the Nationals are much better suited to survive uh, without Bryce Harper, because they still have Anthony Rendon, they have Daniel Murphy, Ryan Zimmerman, yeah. Michael, just Michael Murphy Taylor back from the, the DL. Free spot yesterday. Uh, you know, They completely you know reestablished their bullpen through the trade deadline, so I think they're much better suited to handle uh, a postseason without Bryce Harper than the Dodgers without Kershaw.
1: But 326, an OPS of over a thousand, twenty nine homers, guy can run, uh, not necessarily a stolen base guy, but he can go first to third pretty quickly. Um, It's an interesting debate. I don't know if I don't think there's a unanimous answer to this. We had some audio from uh, Bryce Harper who uh, Let's face it. What if you saw the video of him? Just Absolutely writhing in pain after the injury. He talked about it and just how freak it was
3: It's just a freak accident freak situation Um, you know, I think uh, It flashed before your eyes, and then you realize you know, there's nothing you can do You know, it's part of the game. It's part of sports um, I mean, you just try to you know, hope for the best and pray for the best. And, um, you know, I think we got the best possible news uh, that we could.
1: Uh, that is right. Just again, when you saw it, there's no way, When especially if you got a chance to see it in slow motion, I don't think there's any way you thought he was going to come back this year at all. You're thinking, okay, not if he tore a ligament, but how many did he tear? That's the way it looked when you saw it. I mean, just the, the, the hyperextension, the knees not built to go that way. Uh, it was very painful to look at. Uh, but that is good news that he will be back in time for the playoffs if everything goes uh, as expected, which is good news for Dusty Baker, the manager of the National. And he talked about a potential timeline for Harper's return.
0: Yeah, we're, we're optimistic that uh, that he, sh- he should be back by the end of the year, yes. He- we have no timeline whatsoever. We'll we'll treat it day to day. We'll treat it we'll treat it cautiously. Uh, We've put ourselves in a position that we can treat it cautiously, and uh, we'll con- we'll continue down that road. Uh,
1: that is Dusty Baker, uh, who's seen a thing or two over the course of his long career. Back with the Dodgers uh, um, in the '70s. Before that, with the Braves. Um, um, it, it, the, the answer to a great trivia question: Dusty Baker was on deck. When Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's home run record, so he he's had an opportunity to see a lot of things as a player and as a major a manager in the major leagues, and he talked about uh, Harper's style of play.
0: You know, the bases are hard, slick uh, at times, and you got a hustling player, uh, you know, just trying to play the game. Uh, You know, know, Harp plays it, as we've said it before, 100 miles an hour with his hair on fire. That's the way he's going to play it throughout his career. And, uh, and, you know, you can't fault a a player for going hard all the time.
1: Once again, that's Dusty Baker talking about Bryce Harper, who uh, should be back. In mid-September again, uh, although he wouldn't commit to a timeline, a uh, baker. That's uh, most of the stuff that you have read, or at least I've read, seems to indicate that uh, it's going to be the middle of September, which is good news, great news for the Washington Nationals who are going to the playoffs. Um, it just looked like for a while um, before we got the results of the uh, of the MRI that it might not be with Bryce Harper. And it, again, there's there's a lot not to like about Harper. His personality can be. Uh, a little edgy at times, shall we say. But again, on the field, those are the kind of guys you like. Maybe it's uh a uh, maybe it's this kind of era as Pete Rose, where Rose would love you know rub guys the wrong way, but you love and respect the way that he played because he went all out all the time, and that's Harper, who's just so dangerous at the plate and just uh, just busts it every night. You do have to respect that, even if you don't necessarily like the personality. So the Jays getting ready for Tampa. Uh, we we dealt with that a little bit with Rich Griffin, and we did ask uh, the question online. We getting some. Uh, Uh, some pretty good uh, responses to this. We didn't even ask the question. It's just been people filling in. As we said, we were going to talk to Rich Griffin about, you know, are the Jays uh, a playoff team? And the responses uh, have come in and people just sort of chatting amongst themselves. Um, uh, You know, like Matt saying that if you erase the Jays' ugly start to the year, they'd be right in the mix. Early April screwed them. It'll take a tear to get them there. Um, Gibby the best saying, sure will, but teams are so close it'll take a tear for anyone to get there. Why not us? Erase April with a great August. And then uh, Joey just dropped the one word that we won't use, but he went, holy crap, guys. Uh, They aren't. Why is this still a question? Depends on who you ask. There are po- folks in the fan base that think that they are alive and well and are looking at the four games and maybe ignoring to a, an extent the amount of teams ahead of them. Or looking at the teams ahead and saying, well, there's a lot of bad baseball teams in there. Uh, if they get hot, there's certainly a chance. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We'll talk about the NFL. Um, John McMullen's going to join us, a national NFL columnist for Fan FanRag Sports, based out of New York. I am intrigued by the New York Jets. Their quarterback situation is... A really interesting story. We'll get to John and, and he'll explain why. Uh, we'll talk about the Kaepernick uh, support over the weekend, among other things, and uh, what they've uh, what they're trying to do with the defense in San Francisco. As we continue with Toronto today, I'm Mike Hogan and for Gareth Wheeler on TSN 1050. Today, Mike Hogan and for Gareth Wheeler, we've got Scotty Mack coming up at 1 o'clock here on TSN 1050. Uh, right now, we're going to get into the NFL and uh, get some uh, talking about uh, camps. And uh, we'll, we'll hit the Kaepernick story at some point, obviously, because our next guest has written about that, among other things, for Fan uh, FanRag Sports. He is a national NFL columnist for that website. John McMullen joining us from the great state of New Jersey. How are you doing, John? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, first, I'm i am I'm not a Jets fan. I'm not a Jets hater. I, I'm intrigued beyond belief about this year's Jets team for all the wrong reasons. Um, how bad is this team going to be?
0: Well, it doesn't look good on paper, well, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, it starts at the quarterback position, but it goes... Far beyond that, if you think about their skill position, talent, and what they've lost, and, and Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, uh, and then Qu- Quincy and Nunwa, uh, who was going to be their top receivers, lost for probably the season. So, not only do you have to deal with Josh McCown, who's two and twenty in his last twenty-two starts in the as an NFL quarterback or, or Christian Hackenberg trying wow. to throw him on the field before he's ready, not only do you have to do that, but you also have to factor in the equation that they don't have anyone around them to help uh, maybe uh, elevate them uh, past their feelings as partic- particular signal callers. So again, on paper, it looks really, really difficult. and A lot of people are speculating That's not the worst thing in the world for the Jets because they probably don't have the answer at quarterback in the building right now, and that means they got to go get it in the draft. Mm -hmm. And if they can get the first or second pick, maybe that's the best way to go long term.
1: Hackenberg intrigues me as well because, you know, following the Penn State story, which was wrong for all of the wrong reasons, um, he was one of the guys that was brought in to help, you know, uh, get the program out of the tire fire that it had uh, become. Um, wh- he, he was a high, fairly high draft pick, and yet he's dropped down to third, and you say he's not ready for primetime yet. What seems to be stifling his development?
0: I think it started at the college level. Christian was actually better as a freshman and, and got progressively worse. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Bill O'Brien was there yeah. originally yeah. uh and he had more of a pro style offense. Uh And then they moved to James Franklin, went to a more spread style, which doesn't fit Christian Hackenberg at all. So I, I think the hopes from uh, the Jets standpoint was that they would get the guy uh, who was under Bill O'Brien and be more of a pro-style quarterback. But to this point, from everyone I've talked to in, in North Jersey, it's just he's got a long way to go. Uh, the learning curve is steep in this league to begin with mm-hmm. when all things are, are, are perfect, uh, and I think he, he's a work in progress. I think everyone kind of understands that. Uh, in their opening preseason game. They are very, very cautious with him. A lot of checkdowns. You could see the one thing they didn't want to do was, was have a crisis of confidence and have him throw two or three interceptions. So I, I think they're going very slowly with him, and, and I think that's out of necessity.
1: Do you see a future for him, or is this going to be a, a draft pick opportunity that just doesn't pan out?
0: Well, I see a future for him in this league. Do I see a future as a starter? Probably not. I don't think he has that kind of upside. And I think the Jets' mentality, as I said, is already on to the next guy. And they're thinking about next year's draft already. Gotcha. Uh, Because they don't believe that they have the answer. Now, that's not to say he can't be a 10-year backup, which is – uh, a very nice uh, profession sure. and, and a very nice living. But do I do I see him as a starter in this league long term? To be honest, I don't.
1: John, who's worse right now, the Jets or the Bills?
0: Oh, I, I think uh, the Jets by a, a pretty wide margin. Buffalo, you know, they've in recent over the past week with the trades they've made, sort of spinning off uh, Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby, you could see they're building for the draft as well. They already have two first-round picks, two second rounds, two third yeah. rounds. So they got a lot of premium picks. Uh, they know they're not ready to compete uh, for the AFC East, which and in, in is always difficult because obviously New England's in the division. But you know, Tyrod Taylor is a competent NFL quarterback. He's not going to make you think about Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, but he's a heck of a lot better. Uh, than Josh McCown or Christian Hackenberg. So I, I think it starts there, uh, and the Bills are, are certainly better off than the Jets.
1: John McMullen joining us uh, from ESPN Radio in New Jersey and the national, uh, one of the national NFL columnists. For FanRag Sports, um, you wrote about the Kaepernick situation, and uh, everybody's got their own opinion on whether or not they agree or disagree with what he's doing, or how he's doing it, or why he's doing it. But the fact is, he is doing it. And and you wrote an article about the relationship with the NHL Players Association, which is fascinating in level because technically he's not a member of the association right now. Uh, what is the relationship, and 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 you know, sort of the uh, the stance of the NH- the NFLPA?
0: No, he's still a member. You're still, he's been in the league, so he, he's still represented by them. And, okay. and that's been one of my issues, uh, from the start. It's the NFLPA is not shy in fighting for their constituency. And even in cases where, as I mentioned, you can go back to Ray Rice, Greg Hardy, uh, Adrian Peterson during his, his child abuse allegations, or you can go to some of the, the drug suspensions, whether they be performance enhancing or substance abuse. Uh, if you look at the Flategate, that's an example of the NFLPA taking things almost to the cusp of the U.S. Supreme Court. Point here is they're willing to fight. Uh, and if there was any, any evidence that Colin Kaepernick was being blackballed from the NFL they would have been the first one in the fight. Mm -hmm. And to be blunt, for the people that think that, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. That's not to say uh, that there are not teams in this league that have red flagged Colin Kaepernick uh, and don't want him in the organization because of his stances. But as I pointed out, you've seen a number of players. I cover one on a daily basis in Philadelphia, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, who has spoken in front of Congress, our, our Congress. Uh, about these same issues and is very outspoken about it. You just saw Marshawn Lynch and and Michael Bennett uh, sit down during our national anthem, uh, and they're not getting cut, and you don't have to worry about it. And the reason they're not getting cut is because they're really, really good players. So it's not mutually exclusive. If Colin Kaepernick was the same guy as he was in 2012 and 2013, he'd be employed. But he's not a very good football player right now, so when you put that on top of the other issues, that's why he's unemployed.
1: It's it's interesting the part of the country where Jenkins is playing because you know we all know Pennsylvania is a huge swing state and New Jersey is usually a Democratic state with a Republican governor right now. Uh, How what what is is the general consensus about Jenkins among the fan base in that area?
0: Well, I think the fan base is a lot like everywhere else in. The U.S. and it's basically split fifty-fifty. It's a very polarized political environment right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the 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 where people are wrong is sort of the the belief that NFL owners are a monolith. In the and what I mean by that is you have the stereotype that a bunch of rich guys are going to be more conservative. But if you look at certain owners here in Philadelphia, it's Jeffrey Lurie. Yeah. Jed York in San Francisco, where uh, Colin used to play, uh, Paul Allen in Seattle. Just some notable examples off the top of my head. Very, very liberal or progressive politically. Uh, so that sort of spin and that narrative is just its disingenuous. Uh, and it's one of the things I've written about extensively, extensively and i and as i said I, I think that's not advancing sort of the narrative here and and it's creating more polarization when you sort of place everybody in a box and sort of stereotype
1: I also wanted to tease one more of your articles on fanrag dot com and, and and talk about solomon Thomas <clears> and uh, what you expect from him in the forty ers defensive scheme this year
0: well, really talented kid i I think they have the opportunity to both be the most improved defense in the NFL. Part of it is just getting away from chip Kelly. I mean, yeah. I, I covered him here in Philadelphia for three years, just the way he runs his offense. It, it puts a tremendous strain on the defense and San Francisco was 32nd in the league dead last last year, but they have a ton of talent and it starts up front uh, with Thomas and DeForest Buckner, who was a top 10 pick last year and, uh, they still have some really good linebackers, so I, I think you're going to see sort of a leap from number 32, dead last, to a top half in this league defense. And and Solomon Thomas is going to be a big part of that, as is Ruben Foster.
1: John, I really enjoyed this chat. Uh, I enjoyed reading your articles as well. Fan Rag Sports is where you can find them, or you can follow him on Twitter at JF McMullen. John, thanks so much for doing this.
0: Hey, Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: John McMullen joining us. So you can uh, listen to him on ESPN radio in New Jersey, or uh, you can read him again at Fan Rag Sports. Uh, he's in that, one of the national NFL columnists for that website. Uh, more to come as we get ready for the uh, reappearance of Scotty Mack in his own show at 1 o'clock. You're listening to Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Seven. This is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan in for Garrett Wheeler. We also will be back on Thursday. Scotty Mack back in his comfy little chair. In fact, this comfy little chair at 1 o'clock, and he will keep you company. Oh, he's not here to Oh, he's downtown today. Ah, closer to the Rogers Centre. So he's doing it from our downtown location. Either that or he just doesn't want to see your face for the next four hours. You hours. stupid idiot! Yeah, there is that. So he will be back just doing it from our, our, our glorious location downtown. So there you go for that. Um, this is the uh, segment that Mr. Wheeler likes to call...
3: What up the f- They defeat the Toronto Blue Jays 19-1. to 1.
2: Oh, that's nasty.
0: You come to the rink to see something maybe you've never seen before. And that might be one of those moments. It's only two dudes
1: better than me. And I'm both of them. Stay off the weed. W-P-F. That's the segment. Looking around the world of sports and some of the things that uh, you may have seen, you may not have seen. Um, I don't know if you saw the Odell Beckham Jr. catch on the weekend. Uh, It was uh, during the warm-up for the game Friday. And he goes out and he practices these. If you see Odell Beckham Jr. before a game, he's out practicing these things. And when Beckham made the the catch was it against it was a sunday night game was against dallas that he made that stupid falling backwards you're the giants fan bower those against the giants where he made where he was reaching backwards and not only made the catch but had to catch it was it like a 50 yard pass and it was just the ball should have normally just hit the ground with gravity and he made the catch
3: yeah, that was, I mean, it was a phenomenal catch, but what everyone forgets is the Giants still lost the game. So Doesn't matter. I think, no, that, at least for me, the, the catch lost a lot of its appeal after that.
1: Really? Seriously, you look back at that and you think less of the catch because it came in a loss.
3: Well, because, I mean, at the moment, obviously I loved it, but I just think at the end of the day in a big divisional game, if you don't get the win, then it just, it. I don't know. It's it's like I, I mean Javon Curse's catch uh, for the Seahawks in the Super Bowl a couple sure. years ago, uh, you know Julio Jones catch last year against the Patriots. Like it's you remember the catch? We're, they were great catches, but it's I don't know. It's not the same.
1: Yeah, I guess you can put the W there, but still a great catch is a great catch is a great catch.
3: But I also you all he also made a phenomenal catch in practice today that's just gone viral on oh, Twitter. Really? So you should take should it, take a quick look, it, look at that. How, how does you it compare
1: chance? to some of the other ones that we've seen? It's
3: <laughs> it's up there.
1: It's really good. Okay, it's something. On. I've got a, a okay. Uh. Uh, Is that it? Oh, I think I'm getting a look at it here now. And, oh, where he kind of goes up and double clutches in midair and makes a catch. One-handed, right-hand. Yeah, that would work. It's it's funny because there there was one up here a couple of years ago where Chad Owens won a game late, and it was a one-handed diving catch. And he said because of that catch that Beckham made uh, on the Sunday night game, that receivers on both sides of the border are now practicing one-handed catches more than they ever did. And, I mean... They always did, but with the gloves and with everything else now, it's just become more of a regular part of the repertoire, and if guys can pull it off, that's great, but I've seen guys try to make one-handed catches when they had an opportunity to make the catch with two, and it falls down and goes boom, and that
3: doesn't look good. And over the last couple of years with Odell Beckham, it's the exact same thing with him. I feel like he wants to make that spectacular one-handed catch, but... There's a lot of times over the last couple seasons when I look at a highlight and I look at a replay and you said, well, could have done that with two hands. Yeah. Well, if you can do it, you know, God love you for doing it. But
1: if you can't do it, use two hands. The problem is after seeing him put on the freak show that he's done. uh, Yeah, that was uh, that's another that one today wasn't as good. I don't think well, certainly is the one in the game which was just among the best catches you'll ever see in his life. But just, uh, he's, he, he works at it. So it's not an accident that uh, he's pulling off this stuff. Uh, Tim Tebow, fairly frightening uh, scene on Saturday night as he got plunked in the head uh, by a pitch. And we all know that Tebow's trying to change sports and work his way up from the low minors in Florida. Um it's scary when you see a guy get hit by a fastball high. doesn't matter if it kind of catches him in the shoulder first, but this one plunked him solidly in the helmet. And I was just happy he got up. Didn't get up quickly, but he got up. And how many times have we seen a guy, you know, over the years uh, get hit and it doesn't catch the helmet? Every once in a while you'll see a guy get hit in the face and it just changes them as a major leaguer. And, you know, it's almost the same thing now. You see the guys and it's becoming... It's not commonplace, but you see it a little bit more and more where a a pitcher will throw, be in the follow-through position where he's completely defenseless, and some guy's going to hit one back up the box 100 miles an hour and it hits him in the head. And we see that every once in a while, a couple of times a year now it seems like, in Major League Baseball. I don't think they're ever going to get to the state where they're going to put helmets on pitchers. Um, I know some have experimented with padded caps or just trying to come up with something uh, to try and, and make it a little bit safer. I think Cliff Floyd's company is in on a company uh, that's trying to deal with that. So the, the, the former Major League or former Expo among others. Uh, I think he's got a company that's uh, somebody does. I think it's Floyd that's trying to deal with that. Uh, the Justin Thomas putt on 10 at the PGA final round yesterday. 12 second hang time. I wasn't sure of the rule. I had always thought, you know, you play cl- and, and not being a slave to the rule book when we play, <laughs> foot wedge, um, that it was a 10-second rule. I didn't realize until just earlier today, as a matter of fact, that it was 15 seconds that players are allowed. Because I did see the uh, the score clock last night, when I think it was SportsCenter put the clock up, uh, talking about how long it took. But 12 seconds for it to go plunk. That was that was an. That was an, an int- have you ever had anything like that happening on the golf course as far as putts hanging?
3: No, no. And you know, Sean and I were talking about it earlier. Like, I just I would love to know the physics that went into that. Like, how is it able to sit still for those you know 10, 11 seconds, and then on that twelfth second just but fa- and fall but in. face
1: it. Have you been the guy or played with the guy where something comes close like that and they stop down the green trying to get it to vibrate so the ball falls in? There are those
3: guys. Am I that guy or have I played with one of them? Would you be that guy no, if you saw it? No, absolutely not. No,
1: that's no, good. I, I've,
3: if I have a shot like that and it's just hanging there on the lip, then I'm the one who's frustrated and just hitting it in because I'm pissed off that it didn't go in the hole in you the first would, place. You
1: wouldn't wait the 15 seconds. No, the, You'd charge up and just hit it with the back of the putter. Don't have, and, don't have
3: that kind of patience on the golf course. Yeah. Or here. Debatable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also, um, this was uh, this was interesting that Leonard Fournette is now dealing with a couple of injuries after the preseason game. Uh, he was the Fourth overall pick in the NFL draft um, this year by uh, Tampa, uh, sorry, by uh, Jacksonville, and came out afterwards. And we, uh, Fred Jackson, was on today, and he was talking about Fournette. We don't have the clip, but he was he was talking about Fournette and 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 reacted to you know the comments that Fournette said by playing in the SEC. He's ready for the NFL, and thought that the NFL was slow, slower than he thought it would be. And Fred jackson was uh, was on with uh, Lanceberg and Cause today in for Naylor. And he started laughing when he was uh, when he was talking about those comments, saying that the kid better watch what he says because he's just playing in the exhibition season right now. And so there are really a couple of different speeds for running backs and for uh, for players in the NFL. One is the preseason where the guys who are fighting for roster spots are playing at 100 miles an hour. And at 100%, but maybe the starters aren't. They're trying to work on one specific aspect of their game. Just trying to get their legs and their lungs back to 100% and in game shape for the NFL. And then he said there's the regular season where things move about 10 times faster than they do in the regular season. And he started laughing, saying, well, if he thinks it's slow, he hasn't seen the regular season yet. And then he said when they get to the playoffs, it just uh, ramps up again, and the playoffs are probably 10 times faster than the regular season is. So Fred Jackson was, uh, if you go back online and you can listen to the, uh, the podcast today from uh, this morning's show, uh, very interesting where uh, after playing for the Bills as well as he did for a few years, he's 36 and still wants a shot at an NFL roster and um, just had the year off last year, thinks he can do it. I doubt if anybody's going to give him a chance, but with the way that uh, NFL running backs are injured, one never knows, do they? Uh, That's going to do it for today. This was fun. Thank you, boys. Thumbs up from the other side of the glass. Our producer today, Sean Lavery. Uh, Are you in tomorrow as well? No? Shaking your head? You're spared. (sighs) Thank you. I mean, that's too bad. I really had fun today. And uh, Keith Bauer, are you in tomorrow?
3: No, you got the regular crew tomorrow.
1: Oh, the regular dudes are back. Okay. Well, thank you for your contributions today, gentlemen. Stick around. Scotty Mack is uh, back in his time slot. The Scott MacArthur Show next here on TSN 1050.